God is good. He is good, isn't he? We serve such a loving God. Our Savior, our hope, our strength, our endurance. Amen. 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 Lord, we agree with the words of the lyrics of that song. The heavens roar. Father, as far as I'm concerned, the whole earth should be roaring right now, not just today, but every day, roaring about the great salvation that you have given to us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, the angels are singing. They were singing the night that Jesus was born. They were singing in the clouds. One angel appeared to the shepherd, and then a whole multitude of heavenly hosts appeared, and they began to sing glory to God in the highest. And Lord, that's what we're saying here right now. Glory to you, Lord, in the highest. We were lost, and now you found us. We were headed for the kingdom of Satan, and now we're headed for your kingdom, the kingdom of God. We were dead in our sins, and now we're alive and well. Father God, we just thank you. That's why the heavens roar. That's why the earth should be roaring, Lord, because you provided our salvation. And Lord, very few people even want to look at it anymore. They hardly even think of a little baby in a manger. They want to think about what gift they're going to get for Christmas. Mm. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell the world right now, the only gift you need is the gift of God's Son, the indescribable gift that has been given to man. He can't be described. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. But he didn't stay a manger, and some of us Christians, we need to grow up. He grew up to be a man, to come and do what he was doing told to do by his father and he willingly came and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin to pay its penalty and Lord here we are we didn't have to go to the cross we just have to take up our cross every day and follow you you took the cross for us and you died in our place and it was me who put the hammer who held the hammer and nailed your hands and your feet to the cross because of my sin. Father, I repent of my sin. I repent of all those years I didn't even know you. I could have cared less about you. I was too involved with the world. But now, you are my world. It's in you that every Christian should live and move and have their being. It's because of you we should be like the apostles and say we cannot stop teaching and preaching about you. And we're not going to stop here at Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. If you want to know what this church is about, it's about Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen the third day, according to the scriptures. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, great and mighty God, let our worship, let our praise Let this whole service be glorifying to your name. And all those on the internet, I want to remind the prince of the power of the air, there's a king of the power of the air, and he's been defeated at the cross. And we plead the blood over Freedom Church, over Florida, over the United States, over every continent on the face of the earth. 
that you go forth, Lord, today in a mighty way and win souls over to Jesus. We give you this day. Our hearts are yours, Lord. Let us hear what your Holy Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We got a few other things before we go on. I didn't mention it up front, but I want you to know for all these on the internet, if you ever come to Freedom Church, we fog this place with a disinfectant every week so you can feel a little bit safer. We have masks in the back. We have gloves in the back. You know, whatever you need to do, they're in the back for your taking, you know, so that you can feel safe. We're not to consider uh, our, we consider ourselves, others more important than ourselves. So that's what we do here at Freedom Church. Um, I want to remind everybody that uh, not this coming Thursday we're going to meet here at the church, but the next following Thursday is Christmas Eve, and we will not be meeting. Everybody has family plans on Christmas Eve, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, being the size of our church, there wouldn't be too many people here. But that's not the reason. The reason is I want you to spend that time at home with your relatives to tell them about the great God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then New Year's Eve, I really don't want any of us on the road, so that's Thursday, New Year's Eve, the following week, December 31st. So, I, again, I don't want you on the roads. better off staying home and enjoying your family. So, uh, that's that's about about it. Let's see, I brought my cell phone up here because I put a couple notes. I just want to make sure that I announced them. Um, uh, no, that's about it. I got a couple other things. I want. I just see some men from the Bible study here. We got Ken and and uh, Tim and Charmaine and uh, a couple other people. Oh, what's his name? Okay, that's Charmaine back. Milton, okay. Well, we're glad you guys are here. And the young lady? Maria, my girlfriend. Maria, we're glad to to meet you. Well, we're glad you came out today. I don't mean to put you on the spot or embarrass you. That's just like, it's nice to see fresh faces. And, you know, we see every Saturday, which is good. But we're glad you're here. So praise the Lord. I do have one other thing. It breaks my heart to tell you this, but I want Ray to come up. Ray to come up. You know, Claudia and Ray, you know, came to this church about three years ago, and and uh, I, I fell in love with them, okay? And uh, and I know you did, too. And Claudia's already in New Hampshire, and when they came in the door here, they told me they were looking for a Bible-preaching church, and I told them, we're all about Jesus. If I had to say anything about this church, then it's, it's all about Jesus here. And, and they told me at that time, years ago, that within a year or so, they planned on moving to New Hampshire. And uh, it still breaks my heart that we're going to lose them. But Claudia's already up there. She's flying down on the 19th, which is Friday or Saturday. And then they have to head right out. I don't know. They may, we may have an opportunity to see both of them again for, for the, some of us anyhow. But I wanted to pray over them as they go. I told the most important thing now that they bought their house up there, they sold their house down here, and Claudia's online right now, so we, so I'm going to include her in part of this. And Ray said to me yesterday, he says, how are we going to dedicate the house to the Lord with you down here and, and us up there? I said, well, you're going to take a bottle of oil, you're going to put me on FaceTime, we're going to walk through the house, and we're going to anoint this house, you know, with oil. Because as you're going to see today, I'm going to touch a point where time, time and distance 
meant absolutely nothing to the healing of the Lord when he touched the centurion servant. If you look at the scriptures or a map, you'll find out that where Jesus was and where the person was, the, the servant, was like 20 or 25 miles away. There is no time and distance for God. You know, so Claudia is right here with us, and we're right there with her. And um, I just want to pray for these. I told the first thing they do after they get their house in order, make sure they find a good church. And church is not the name on the sign. It's the people within. How much they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, Ray, Claudia, I'm glad you're there. We're, if you want to extend your hands out, I want to pray for them because they're leaving uh, Saturday. You might see men. You might see Ray. Uh, and maybe even, who knows, maybe Claudia will stop in Saturday to see us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, my heart's broken as I, as I pray for my brother Ray and my sister Claudia. Lord God, they've been an important part of this church. They've been an important part of our lives. And, Lord, I just want to commit them to you. Father, we love them so much. Our heart's broken, but we know that we have FaceTime, we have telephones, and we can get in touch with them. And I'm sure if any of us ended up in New Hampshire, they'd take us in for a night or two. But, Lord, we just want to pray in Jesus' name for their transition. Sometimes there's a crisis going on when you move like this. Faray's got to find a new job. Lord, um, you know, so I pray that you make his resumes stand out like a sore thumb say this guy we need him we we're going to pay him more than we're even offering so lord i just put ray in your hands claudia in your hands protect them as they travel because they're taking that u-haul on i guess uh saturday or sunday or whatever and, and hauling up to and in their car they're linking up to up to uh new hampshire i pray that you keep them safe on the road father place your angels in front of them let them divide and protect you know, Ray and Claudia as they as they go on their way. And Father, when they get up there, Lord, lead them to a church. Show them exactly what church it is and let them never give up. And where the devil's trying to block that in any way, shape, or form, we rebuke him in Jesus' name that, that they can find the church where they feel comfortable that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can use their gifts in that church that they are going to attend up there. And may it be found quickly, Lord, because they need to, you know, find new friends. And not that they have lost us down here, but they need to find the new friends up there. Friends that edify and lift them up and, and draw them up in their walk with Christ. And they will draw them up too. So, Father, we put them in your hands. We love them with all of our heart. And um, with a broken heart, I pray this prayer. But I know that you're working in their lives, and I'll be the first to tell them, you do what God tells you to do. And I know that they did. To you be the glory, Father, for their lives. And Jesus, holy, holy and precious name, amen. Amen. I love you, brother. Claudia. If you want to, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. These are one of my, as I mentioned last week, we, we're, I'm going to do a takeoff from last week. It's only a little bit more advanced as we move on, but I am going to touch on some things from last week. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 
I'll find it. That, this is John talking. Remember, John writes about 30 years after the Synoptic Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is clarifying a few things. He is, he is um, telling them things that the other Gospels didn't tell. And the reason why God did that is because there was heresy going on in the church. Gnosticism was moving in. If you look at all the churches in Revelation, the seven churches, they were full of, of baloney. You know, they, were full, they followed the Nicolaitans, they followed Jezebel, they followed the laws of Balaam, and, 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 the, and a bunch of other uh, things, you know. But Philadelphia had a pretty right, pretty good. God didn't, the Lord didn't rebuke them in any way. So 92 or 93% of what we read in the Gospel of John is not in the Synoptic Gospels because he's adding things that were left out so that when you take both the witnesses and put them all together, you get a true picture, just like they would do in a courtroom. So here's John. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be full. So John's going to tell them, hey, I'm an eyewitness. And so are the others. The other disciples were all eyewitnesses of what, what he said. We heard him speak with these ears. It wasn't somebody writing 100 years ago. It was, we heard what he said. He said some surprising statements, which I'm going to go through a couple of them. He said, what we have seen with our own eyes. I'm an eyewitness. I saw this. Don't call me a liar. I was boiled in oil. But I didn't die because God spared me. And then I was put on the island of Patmos where I wrote these books so that we could clarify a few things. And so you, you would know that these are true. Who gets boiled in oil and don't die? Who gets thrown into a fire and there's a fourth man inside? And their clothes aren't even singed and their hair isn't even burned and they didn't even smell like smoke. But the people who threw them in there, they were gone. He's saying, what I have seen, I've seen this with my own eyes. I saw him feed the 5,000. I saw him feed the 4,000. I saw him heal the sick, raise the dead, lay hands on the lepers. I see all this. I saw him calm the sea. Who can speak to the wind and the waves and they be hush, be still? Who can do that? He said, I looked at him with our own eyes. They probably sat there talking amongst themselves, Jesus over there praying. They're probably saying, who is this guy? They're looking at him saying, he's just like us. He looks like us. He acts like us, except he's not a sinner. Who is this guy? They were watching him closely. They were hearing him clearly, and they were seeing all this stuff that was happening. They said, we touched him. Wouldn't you love to reach out and touch Jesus right now? I would. Touch him. 
And because they did that, they saw and seen and looked at and touched and heard. They said, we testify to you and we proclaim. You know, Mark didn't write the gospel just because he felt good. and He wanted to have a bestseller on the hit list. You know, he wrote it because of Jesus Christ and what he was told. He wasn't even an eyewitness of most of it. Matthew was right there. He's saying, you know, every one of the apostles went to their death as a martyr, except John, who would have been martyred if the Lord didn't perform a miracle and save his life. But he was willing to. And not only that, Stephen, James, killed with the sword by Herod. He says, we're going to proclaim this to you. I'm not going to let you slide on this. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm proclaiming this to, to mankind. That, listen, Jesus Christ is real. You know, I, I heard him speak, not audibly, but I heard him speak to my heart many times in the Spirit. Because God is a Spirit, and he speaks to the Spirit. If you're listening with the flesh, you will not hear. I'll touch on what's a little later in this, but you must be born again. Your spirit has to be alive. It has to become alive. That which, is, that which is Caesar's you give to him. That which is God is God's. What shocked them about Jesus? What things did he say that, that, he, they, you know, that, that they heard that kind of shocked them? You know, one of them might be this. I'm going to go through a few of them. One of them might be this, Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to bring peace, but a sword to set father against daughter, mother against mother-in-law, and man's enemies will be those of his own households. You know what? You look at that, you know, a lot of mothers and fathers and everybody gets along real well, but once you get saved, oh my goodness, all hell breaks loose in your, in your family life. Now there's a spiritual battle going on. Because the devil wants them to stay in their lostness and you're trying to bring them to Christ so that they can have eternal life. There's a battle going on in the spiritual world between the believing and the non-believing. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, the words on this page are black and white and some of them are red, but they're all the Word of God. There's like 35,000 verses in the Bible and any one of them you can use as a sword. It's a spiritual battle going on between the believer and the unbeliever. Even us within ourselves, Galatians 5.17, you know, says the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit so that we don't do the things we want. When you're born again, your spirit man gets saved. You're a triune being, Father, your, your spirit, soul, and body. Check it out in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God, the God of peace, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, may your whole soul, may your whole body be preserved complete until the coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You're a spirit man. You got saved in the spirit, but that spirit is what's, your spirit man is going to heaven. And here, and what's the flesh do? It fights against the spirit. Oh, you can have one more alcoholic drink. Well, what's wrong with going to one of those uh, fancy bar, those gentlemen clubs? Boy, did they redefine that word, huh? Listen. No. 
you know, this is a war. They didn't understand it because the spirit wasn't given yet. They're saying, what's, what's going on here? You know what? If you keep it up, I've been doing, I've been a believer for over 43 years, and I'll tell you what, I have not stopped. Even in those years when I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I couldn't let go of it. I can't. I won't let go of it. As we were singing those songs, I'm thinking like, the Spirit's alive and well here today. I always had these verses to follow on, Luke 26, 22, and 23. Blessed are you when others spurn your name for evil, when they hate you and they revire you and they ostracize you. Because great is your reward in heaven. Jump and leap for joy. That's what we should do. See, they didn't understand this at the time. What other things might have Jesus said? He shocked them with statements like, whoever wants to be first among you, you must become the slave. For even the Son of Man, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's why when I ordain deacons and elders, you know, I say, congratulations, you've just been demoted. Not promoted. The pastor is not... a up here he's down here they didn't understand this how about John 6:53? truly I say to you unless you eat my flesh and drink the blood of the son of man you will have no life they're going like when Jesus said that after I think he fed the five or the four thousand he had 70 disciples and after he said that he had 12 left because they didn't understand this. Now, we understand it today because the Spirit has been given. We know that when we eat from the, uh, we take a piece of bread, which we did last week, and you know, we take a cracker or a piece of bread and, and we dip it, we know that his body was broken for us. It's written in Isaiah 53. You know, his body was broken for us. We know that his blood, you know, uh, redeems us from our sin. We know that we do this as a remembrance of him, and we do it every day. I tell everybody, don't just think it's once a month on your, in your church where you do communion. You do communion three times a day at least. When your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner. You drink, you eat, and you can remember him in all those three times. And don't forget the snack times. Matthew 8, 3. Unless you become like this little child, you will no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to become like children. We can't sit there intellectually and say, well, I can't believe it. How could Mary be pregnant by the Holy Spirit? That's impossible. No, it ain't impossible. You have a serve a God of the impossible. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. They didn't understand these things, but we do now. When you get born again, you're like a little kid. You're sucking in everything that you can get. You're reading the Bible constantly. You're talking to people about Jesus. If you're really saved, you're going to be chasing after this stuff, after the spirit man. Unless you become like a little child. And that's why Jesus, when they, when they told the little kids to be quiet, said, let them come to me. How would you like to have been one of those kids that Jesus picked you up and kissed you and hugged you? Oh, man, he's already done that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. John 3 3 through 8, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You Listen, he said, you are the teacher in Israel. In other words, he's the top man. 
and you don't understand these things, you must be born again. Well, how can I enter back into my mother's womb as old as I am and be born again? Jesus said, that, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. So, you must be born again. And if you say you don't have to be born again to be in the kingdom of God, oh, be in the kingdom of God. Yes, you do, unless Jesus lied. Well, I'm going to take his word over yours, just so you know that. He said you must be born again. I know when I accepted Jesus, I changed like that. Even my mother father, you know, was going like, who is he? He's changed. He used to be an alcoholic. He used to use foul language. He's going to church. Him go to church? Listen, there's going to be a change in your life if you're born again. If there isn't, there's no fruit. And if there's no fruit, Jesus identified that in John chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 7. He said a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You can judge them by your fruit. And in the beginning of that chapter, he says, do not judge, lest you be judged yourself. For in what way you judge, you shall be judged. He was, and then he goes later on in the chapter, he says, it's okay to fruit inspect. You can look at your life and say, Man, he looks like a Christian. He acts like a Christian. He probably is a Christian. I tell everybody, when you walk through a grain field, you have tares and wheat. And when the wheat gets full grown, the heads start weighing over like this. But the tares will grow straight up. So you can tell them by their fruit. Don't pull them out when they're young because they look the same. Matthew 6, or Matthew 3, 16 and 17. They, they heard this, and they were shocked by it. It says that the heavens were opened, a dove came down and rested on Jesus when John the Baptist baptized him, and a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Wow. They heard God speak literally, and they, they were shocked. They were shocked at what, at what was said about Jesus. Even John the Baptist didn't know. I talked, talked, talked on it last week. He sent his disciples. To, he's in jail. He sent his disciples, go ask Jesus, is he the one or should, we, should there be someone else? And Jesus didn't even say, yes, go tell him I'm the Messiah. No, he said, tell John what you see and what you hear. And, and what did they see? They saw the, the blind see, the mute speak, the dead raised, the lepers healed. He answered them with Scripture. John, you know the Scripture. You know, John jumped into the flesh. And he was worried. So he had to, I guess, you know, I'm sure if that were me, waiting to be probably beheaded, I would start wondering too. Well, let's see some miracles. What did they see whenever they were with him? They saw miracles. Like if you go to the Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, do you know there's like 12 miracles within those two chapters? I'm going to be mostly going to them today. But in verses in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, Jesus cleanses a leper. Now, I don't know if you know it, but leprosy is, is um, 
a representative of sin in the Bible. Leprosy eats your flesh away. Your fingers can fall off. Your nose can fall off. Your ears can fall off. Your legs can even fall off. Dr. Luke tells us that this man was full of leprosy by the Greek words that he uses. This man was full of leprosy, and he came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, you can make me clean. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know what Jesus said? He said, I am willing. So if any of you are suffering out there, God's willing to heal you. Actually, I didn't even give you the title of this message. The end of it, when we get to it, is seven, seven um, reasons why we doubt. Well, seven reasons why we limit God. Let's put it that way. One of them is right here. You think that he won't heal you, but he's telling you he will heal you. I don't know about last night. I, my chest was burning last night. I was walking around again. The night before, did the same thing. My chest was burning. You know, I grabbed, I'm laying in bed. Man, I love you, Lord. I love you with all my heart. I'm, I'm there like, I don't get all these pains and stress going on. I don't know, like an anxiety. I grabbed a bottle of oil in my nightstand, and I put it on my finger, and three places I, I, you know, anointed my heart, laid hands on the sick, and they were recovering, and then I fell asleep. I believe this, you know, you don't doubt God's ability. You don't doubt Jesus' ability. You doubt whether he'll do it for you. Why? Why? Like, like leprosy, sin will eat you away. If you can find that out as you read James, you know, sin, you know, it, it starts out with lust, then it becomes sin, and before you know it, it's like it comes to death. It'll, it'll lead you down. It'll eat your spirit away to the point where you wonder if you are even saved. It will eat you away. Sin will kill you eventually. You know, I, I don't know. I might have told this to those that come to this church regularly, but the Eskimos found a good way to kill the wolves that would raid their places and you know, and eat eat all kind of food and take their whatever. Listen, they found out that that if they put a piece of meat on a on a sharp blade and plant that blade in the in the ice, the the wolves will come and they'll smell it and they'll begin to lick and melt that meat as they lick. And as they get closer to the blade, they begin lacerating their own tongues. And then they go into a feeding frizzy, frizzy on their own blood, and they die. And that's what can happen to a man if we go too far with our sin. He healed the leprosy, which was a symbol of sin, and he can heal your sin. You don't doubt Jesus can do it. You doubt if he'll do it for you. I, I do the same thing. I'm as guilty as you may. You are probably more guilty. And the second, the second part of that chapter, Jesus heals the centurion servant. It was just miles and miles away. That's why I said when we prayed over Ray and Claudia, Claudia is like 1,800 miles from here. Huh. 1,307 miles. 
207 miles. Wow. You prayed every mile she traveled, I'll bet. <laughs> I don't blame you. And listen, you know, he, this centurion, listen, he wasn't worried about his daughter. This guy was a righteous man. He was worried about his slave. He treated his slave like, uh, like family. That's important. And Jesus healed her. He healed the servant at a distance, all because he believed. So you've got to believe or you're limiting God. I'll bet you the, I'll bet you the Israelites didn't believe God was going to part the Red Sea when they were stuck between that mountain, that mountain, and the whole Egyptian army coming from this side. I'll bet you they weren't thinking like God's going to part the sea. But he did. So he has the power and time over space. He has the time and, and the power over the power and the and the the ability to cleanse your sin. He has the time and a, he has a, he has the the uh, power and the authority to speak through time or through distance. He has the power to create. He feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. He showed his bio. He, he was concerned about man's physical needs. He had compassion. He had power to create right before their eyes. How did that happen? Did the disciples take a basket and, and they just kept reaching in and grabbing a fish and a loaf? Grabbing a fish and a loaf? Or was Jesus breaking them up there right in his hands, recreating creating creating he did the same thing at the wedding of canaan he turned water to wine he changed the molecular structure of water to wine the best wine that was ever available said the the host of the the uh the wedding he has power over time space he has power over spiritual leprosy sin he has power to create he even went into been Peter's mother-in-law, she had a fever. He went into it, took her by the hand, and she got up. If you go to Dr. Luke's, he tells you that she, he rebuked the fever. You realize he, he treated this fever like it was a, perso a person, probably and most likely a demon. He's casting out a demon for a fever. Did you ever think of that? I'm just giving you ways, and, and, uh, and what can I say? Sure the sure foundation that Jesus Christ can do it. I don't care if you live 2,000 years after him. It's written right in the Word. Do we have a faith experience to grow in? Absolutely. He healed the mother-in-law. He has authority over great fevers. He has authority over, some people call a, a headache a, or a fever a little thing. It was a light fever. No, he has authority over that. He healed all who were sick in chap chapter 8 of Matthew, verse 16 through 18. Not some. Listen, all. That's important. That means he was willing to heal all, not just some. Well, you know, I don't like you. You're too short. Nah, we're not going to heal you. No. No. He has a power and the authority to heal everyone. He said, 
in Matthew 7 again. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. For everyone who asks receives. How many people ask? Everyone. How many receive? Everyone. So if you ask, you receive. The men's group touched on it yesterday. I was going to bring out Mark eleven twenty three. Believe in God. And if you say to this mountain to be taken up and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you prayed will happen, God will grant it to you. But just prior to that, there was that fig tree. And Jesus rebuked the fig tree, and it still was there until the next morning. It withered from the roots up. In 24 hours, it was dead. Sometimes, you know, our healings might take a little time. But when you pray, believe that you got that root. When you got the root, then you know that the tree's going to die. When you pull a weed out in your backyard, you want the root out. Jesus had, in those chapter 8 still of Matthew, Jesus has control over creation and the storms of the creation. He has control over the wind and the waves. And the disciples are in the boat going, we had to wake him up. He was in complete confidence he was going to get to the other side because that's where he told them they were going. He didn't say, well, we're going to drown out there. He said, we're going to the other side. He went to the other side. They just didn't believe. Well, he's sleeping in a boat as calm as can be, and they had to wake him up. And these are sailors, you know, and they know a bad storm when they see it. They know how to handle a boat in a storm, but they couldn't handle this one. So it was a wild, raging storm. And Jesus got up, and he said, oh, you guys of little faith. And he rebuked the wind and the sea, and everything got quiet. And I think one of the Gospels says when that happened, he was immediately on the other side. The boat traveled like three and a half miles. And they didn't even know it. They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and now they're on the other side. They get to the other side, and there's these demon-possessed men. Again, Matthew 8, 28. There's these two demon-possessed men. Because one gospel tells you there's two. One gospel says just one. But that doesn't nullify the first gospel. That tells you that one's more outspoken than others. That's, that's your more details from the additional information that comes from, from uh, John or from other gospels when you put it together. So here over there, and here comes this demon-possessed man. That man's running to him, and I'm convinced that that's the spirit. That's the spirit of the man. He recognized Jesus. He wanted Jesus. But while he's coming, he says, Jesus, what do we have, what do, we have to do with you? Have you, come to, to, have you come to destroy us before the time? So the disciples are saying, who is this guy that heals the wind and the sea? And a demon answers them. And a demon says, we know who you are. You're the son of God. Have you come here to torment us for before the time? My goodness, demons know that Jesus exists. You know, they were in heaven one time with, with Jesus. They knew exactly who it was. They made a bad choice. I tell you, those over the Internet now and those here, don't make the same bad choice that the, devil, the angels did and ended up demons. That's a bad choice. A demon-possessed man was running to him. I believe that was his spirit. Then the demons took over, and Jesus just rebuked his demons by saying, what's your name? Well, we're legion. 
Well, a legion of Roman soldiers is 6,000 troops. Not 2,000 like most of them, Roman soldiers. Most likely that's the way this would have been written since Rome had control. 6,000 soldiers, Jesus said, he rebuked them. And they didn't want to go any into uh, just anywhere. They wanted to go to the pigs. And Jesus said, go, and they go, and all the pigs run down the hill. That tells me something. Tells me a couple things. The first time you're going to see deviled ham in the Bible. <laughs> Number two, it tells you even an animal is smart enough not to accept a demon into their life. So the demon-possessed man was healed. He wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you go tell your family what God did for you. He didn't say what I did for you. He said what God did for you, implicating that he is God. He forgave the paralytics in chapter 9. Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sin. This offended the scribes and the Pharisees. Who has power on earth to forgive sin? Well, listen. If you sin against me, you can't ask Justin to forgive you, right? You have to ask God. So you have to come to me. So that's what, that's what he did. This person, this paralytic, was coming to Jesus, and he was recognized he sinned against God, and he, and he accepted Jesus. And Jesus said, I, I, you know, your sins are forgiven. And it was done. Listen, so far, Jesus has power over spiritual leprosy, sin. He has power over time and space. He has power to create. He has power to heal the sick. He has power over fevers and even the small things in life. He has power over creation, the wind and the waves. He has power over demons. There shouldn't be a Christian in this world that's afraid of a demon. Who do you think God's going to side with? Just be logical. He's going to side with the one who loves his son, who loves him, not a demon. You call him for what he is. You've already been defeated. It's a done deal. Jesus crushed your head at the, at the cross. You bruised his heel. Big deal. It was a big deal for Jesus. I'm going to play light on that. But listen, Jesus didn't, he died, but he rose again because of no, no sin. So he forgave this paralytic his sin, and the, the, the hypocrites and the scribes and Pharisees were going nuts. He's implicating that he's God. Yes, that's the whole point. Even when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the resurrection, I am the life, I am the door, I am the, the, uh, the bread of life, he didn't say, I am. He said, ego e me in Greek. That means I, ego, e me, I am. So he said, I, I am the way, the truth. and the He's implicating himself. Jesus wasn't no, he wasn't mild with his words. He was strong and forceful, and he let them know who he was. You had to put it together because you had to have a desire to. He, and then later on in this chapter, in chapter 9 of Matthew, he heals a woman with a flow of blood. This woman had real faith. She said, I just got to touch the hem of his garment and I'll be healed. 
Listen, power goes out from God just by ha- touching the hem of Jesus' garment. You've got to believe that. He has power to, to, to heal this flow of blood that she had for like 13 years, I believe it was, or 12 years. She spent all the money she had on doctors. She forgot one thing, go to God first. Now here she got, she finally went to God. And that's what I say to you, go to God first. You go to the doctor, but you go to God first. Soon as something goes wrong with you, you get on your knees, you pray, whatever you need to do, you bring it to God, then you call the doctor and make your appointment and go and listen to what he says. He's been appointed. He has been given knowledge. He may not know the God of wisdom, but he, he has been trained in some knowledge that can help you. So Jesus now has a power and authority over physical defilements. He can heal you when the doctors can't. Do you realize that? He can heal you when the doctors can't. I've seen it done a number of times, and I know some of you have too. Then there's this ruler that comes to him in chapter 9. He's the daughter of a ruler. His name was Jairus. But his daughter's dead. Listen, this guy had real faith. His daughter's dead, and he's still going to Jesus. He says, and he does. He brings it to Jesus. And uh, Jesus raises her up. I'm going to read that passage. It's uh, Matthew chapter 8, just real quick. I want you to get the gist of this. Matthew chapter 8, we'll go to verse 18 and 19. Uh, Chapter 9, I'm sorry, 18 and 19. While he was still speaking on these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. Drop down to the 22nd verse. But Jesus turned around, after he healed the woman with the flow of blood, Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said to her, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. The woman was made well from that hour. Then when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, and he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took the little girl by the hand, and she arose, and the report of this went out into all the land. She was dead. He had the faith to know. Like Abraham, even if Abraham killed Isaac, God had the power to raise him from the dead. I think the other Gospels clarifies that. Jesus went in and he said, My little lamb, I say to you, arise. That's what the Greek says. If you study the Greek, My little lamb, I say to you, arise. He has the power over death now, just like Isaiah prophesied. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will be raised, the lame will walk, the poor will have the gospel preached to them. 
It's happening right here, right now. He has the power and authority over spiritual, over, over physical things and spiritual things. He has a power over death. And, and also, and now when we get to verse 27 of Matthew 9, two blind men receive their physical sight. Jesus has authority to restore your sight. I prayed over a lot of people that were blind, and they're still blind. I don't think God's the problem. I think I'm the problem. I think I, people say, well, oh, you're telling me I don't have enough faith. Um, yeah. I hate to be so tough about it, but Jesus said, if you have faith, all things are possible. Not some things, all things. So listen, we better get to the top side of this so that we can, because so, if the church is down here on healing or even death and, and Jesus is up here, it's, we better come up to him or close to it. He's not coming down. He's already done it. It's done. It's written. Remember, John is telling you, I saw it. I heard it. You know, I touched him. I'm an eyewitness to these things. I wouldn't be telling these things to you if they weren't true. Next comes a mute man to him. A mute man speaks when the demon is cast out and he's set free from this bondage. You know, some people can't speak. Sometimes it can be a demon. You remember the lady that was all bent over in the temple? She's walking like this, and it was a Sabbath, and Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. And, and he, he rebukes the devil. And she straightens up, and everybody's mad. The scribes and Pharisees are upset. It's the Sabbath. You can wait till Monday to do that. Or Sunday, I should say, since it's a Sabbath. Listen, come on, man. Where's your heart? Listen, if you're in ministry and you have no compassion, quit or get compassion. Jesus moved with compassion all the time. Some of the things they saw was the tears that flowed down his eyes when, when he was riding into Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to take you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You didn't even recognize the time of your visitation. And then he's at, he's at Lazarus' tomb. And tears are flowing down his eyes. Compassion. You know what? He knew where Lazarus was. He wasn't crying for Lazarus. You know what he's crying for? Mary and Martha and all those that were brokenhearted. And he says, I'm going to heal him. This was the last major outgoing ministry of Jesus, healing of Jesus, to raise a dead man, four days dead. And I won't turn your stomachs before lunch by telling you what a dead man four days looks like. Four days. He stinketh, says Mary, or Martha. I don't remember which. Listen, he has the power to raise the dead. He has the power. Listen, all five categories of ministry or of miracles are covered here in these healings. Bodily healing, nature Casting out of demons, multiplication or creation, and the raising of the dead. Who else do you know in history that has done all that? This ID is who Jesus is. There's no doubt about it. These signs followed him when he healed. There was a sign. 
who's before you? When the, when the leper was told to go to the Jews and, uh, and offer the sacrifice for the healing of leprosy, the Jews are there like, we've never did this before. The only one ever healed in leprosy in the Bible was Naaman, the Syrian general, who came to Elisha because the servant girl in his house said, if you only go to the prophet, he could heal you. He was the only one, and he wasn't a Jew. He got, he got healed, dipping himself in the Jordan River seven times, and he became a believer in Jehovah. He told his king, he says, I don't want to offend you, but I'm not going to offer sacrifice to idols. No more. I'm going to offer it to the God of Israel. He was born again in the scriptures. Only time. So here's this leper goes to the Jews and he says, I was, I'm the leper. And they go, you can't be the leper. You don't look anything like him anymore. You, know, you were falling apart before. No, I'm the leper. Jesus told me to offer sacrifice. They had to get their scrolls out and find out how to do it because they never knew how to do it. They never had to do it. And there's a big, long thing, and I could go into that if I studied it a little bit more, but I've taught it over the years and forgot. But it's a really ordeal. If those priests didn't recognize who Jesus was, they should have right there. So there's some proofs that Jesus, his credentials are he can raise the dead, he can cast out demons. He can make the mute speak. He can make the blind see. He can raise dead people. He can heal physical healings. He can, he can, he can uh, heal leprosy. He can heal from a distance. He can heal a simple thing like a fever or maybe even a headache. He can heal all who are sick, not just some. He has control over creation. He can cast out demons and heal the person at the same time. He can forgive sins on earth. This ID is who Jesus is. If you don't believe it, you got a hard heart. It IDs. The Bible was the most accurate book ever written. You know, the closest book that can come to the Bible is Homer's Iliad, which has about 643 or 633 manuscripts. The Bible has over 20,000 manuscripts. So if the pile for Homer's Hiliad is that high, we're going up to the clouds and even beyond with the scriptures that talk about Jesus. So seven ways we can limit God. Number one, Israel. In Psalm 78.10, they did not keep the covenant with God and they refused to walk in his law. So how can you limit God? Disobedience disobedience now there's some variables there some people need delivered from their disobedience because they're hooked on drugs alcohol pornography sex you name it a whole bunch of things but disobedience is a key God wants you to walk with him Israel was left in the desert for 40 years because they refused to walk in the mosaic law that was created by God on Mount Sinai Obedience, then, therefore, is the fundamental condition of God's blessing or for God's blessing. Jesus even said it in the New Testament. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments to the best of your ability. What is the most, the most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Disobedience limits God's blessing in and through us. 
and it hinders your walk with God. You know, another thing that limits, limits uh, God is forgetfulness. Oh, God healed me of a headache back in 1999. You forgot. This is 2020. You forgot he healed a headache. So you didn't remember. Why do you think God had Israel set up altars all over the place? And when they came through the Red Sea, each leader of the tribe was to take a rock and build an altar on the other side. As a reminder, don't forget. Why do you think we take communion? So we don't forget what Jesus did for us. A great mighty God that he is. They forgot Psalm 78 verse 11 through 17 basically says this. They forgot his works and his wonders. Christian, don't forget God's works and his wonders. Don't forget Jesus' works and his wonders. He did amazing things. Just read Matthew chapter 8 and 9. I'll tell you what. It should set you straight right off the bat. Idea in who Jesus is. So forgetfulness limits God's blessing in your life. When they were in the desert, he guarded them, he guided them, he delivered them, he gave them food to eat. He gave them water from a rock. Did you forget? Did you forget who Jesus is? Don't. He's the one that saved you. Think back to that day that God revealed his son to you. I can remember that day like yesterday, June 25th, 1977. The Holy Spirit fell on me, and there was no way I could doubt it. And I gave my life to the Lord, the greatest day of my life. Unbelief, number three. Unbelief. Here's what they said while they were in the desert. Can God prepare a day table in the desert? Can God also give us bread? Can he? Well, the answer is yes. You know that. They couldn't believe it. And they were eating manna every day. And they saw the rock split and the water come out. They're limiting God. Verse 41 of verse 78. Again... And again, they tempted God, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. So listen, you're going to limit God by disobedience, forgetfulness, and just unbelief. So unbelief, unbelief limits God's blessing in and through us. Is unbelief holding you back? Is unbelief holding you back? Then we need to believe. We need to believe. Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, because of your unbelief, for truly I say to you, if you had the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing and nothing shall be impossible for you. Nothing. So unbelief limits God. Number four, worldliness. This is where I think the church is today. They need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. I want the Spirit 24-7, 365, the rest of the days of my life. But I'm sorry, but I can't do it. 
I always ask the Holy Spirit for help to do it, though. But listen, worldliness, adopting the perspectives and the cravings of this world, putting their, the world's values. John tells us in uh, 1 John 2, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they're not from the Father, they're from the world. So get it with it. Paul tells us in Romans 12, too. Same thing, pretty much. Do not love the world. So because of their worldliness, those people in the desert for 40 years, he ended their days in vanity because they were worldly. They wanted the leeks and the onions and the fish and the gator tail, I guess, that they get from the Nile River. That's what they wanted. They didn't want manna. And Jesus describes it as angel food. They didn't want manna. They're tired of eating manna hotcakes and banana bread. So why did did you forget? Because you're tied to this world too much? A lot of Christians today, they got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It's a dangerous place to be. You drive close to the center line on the road, not up against the guardrail. Many of the church is worldly, but Paul tells us in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, the day you accepted Jesus as your king, as your king, savior, and Lord, you are no longer part of this world. You were born again into a new world. And now you are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a high-ranking diplomatic official who living in a foreign land who represents the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we Christians need to do. When we leave this place, we need to tell everybody that we're a Christian. You know, go see Ray. He'll give you a T-shirt the way you want it or sell it to you. I don't want to make it up for you. But he'll give you his T-shirt, anything you want it on. The T-shirt says, I love Jesus. You'll be surprised how people ask you. Jim has one. It says, it always says, is God Jesus? He says he gets more response from that than anything else. Just God Jesus? That's a way to break the ice. Somebody at the cash register might say, I'd like to know him. And then you can move in. Listen, don't be worldly, church. Don't love this world. The little world listen, the world should hate you because it hated Jesus. Simple as that. You know what else hinders or limits God? Insincerity. And a lot of us are guilty of this sin. In Psalm 78, back the Israelites in the desert again, they flattered him with their mouths. And they lied to him with their tongues. For their heart was not right towards him. A lot of people just flatter. Oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Oh, yeah, it's Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. No big deal. Listen, their heart isn't right. Hey, it's a big deal. God came off of his throne to be set in a feeding trough, most likely in a cave, not a stable, because it's caves all through Israel. You know, your heart's not right. You need to realize this baby was the Son of God. You got to realize that this baby confounded the scribes and the Pharisees when he was 12 years old. 
You've got to remember, this, this king, this baby, grew up to be a man and started a ministry that lasted at least three and a half years. And he has, even Alexander the Great and Napoleon are wonder, we conquered the world with swords and knives. They conquered the world with words. Beautiful words from a king of kings and a lord of lords, a god of heaven. Don't, if your heart's not right, you need to make it right today. God doesn't want your confession that he's the Lord. He wants your heart that shows him that he's your Lord. So my question to you, church, is do we flatter God with fancy words which are really nothing but lies? Are you really truthful when you go to prayer? Insincerity is terrible. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. This people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, number six, we got one more after this. Number six, ingratitude. How ungrateful and how unappreciative the Israelites were in the desert. He loved them. He protected them. He had patience with them. He gave them signs and wonders. His, he intervened with them. He guided them with a cloud by day and fire by night, a cloud by day that kept the hot su desert sun off of them and a fire by night that kept it warm for all of Israel. He provided for them. They were ungrateful. Ungratefulness limits God's blessing in our life. I'm very grateful that I'm saved because you don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. But if I'm not or you're not, we know where you are. Number seven is idolatry. Idolatry. An idol is anything that comes between you and the Lord. It could be your best writing pen. It could be your wife or your spouse. can be a statue in your backyard. Idolatry. An idol is anything that comes between you and your relationship with God. I told the men yesterday, there's a lady that works in our fervent prayer ministry, which is a deliverance ministry. And uh, she came through to fervent prayer ministry probably 12, 15 years ago. And she got a lot of healing and deliverance, but she wasn't completely done. About I don't know, three, six months later, she gives us a call to come over our house. We go over our house. And she tells her that she was laying in bed with her husband. And her kids are about this big. And uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to her and says, under your bed is a shoebox. And she knew the shoebox was there. She just didn't pay attention to what it was. It was given to her by her grandmother. She opens up the shoebox, and here she's from Guatemala. So in the shoebox was this little white dress and an idol, a Mayan idol over here. She recognized immediately what they were. She took the idol out into her driveway with the dress, smashed the idol to powder with a hammer, and then she got the dress and she burned it. She called us up, and three of us go over to the house, and she knew that that there was a demonic stronghold here that wasn't even given to her 
But I mean, she didn't do it herself. It was the sins of the forefathers. So she, come, we, she comes in the house. We go in the house. We tell her the story. There's three of us. We start praying. Her husband was a so-so Christian. He's sitting in the chair there. The kids are running in and out with the dog. Like I said, they're this big. And we start to pray. And he, her husband is scared to death. We go at it, we start praying, and we prayed something like this. We rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Your stronghold is no longer. Your assignment is canceled. We command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I said, don't you touch that goldfish in the bowl. Don't you touch those children, those dogs, and the husband, and none of us that are ministering. Go in Jesus' name. And I'll tell you what, she just started blowing like this. She's sitting on a couch. Her husband's over here in the love seat. She's going, She must have, it was like five minutes. And all I saw, I thought, was like a big python snake just coming out. And he had her all bound up. She had two liver diseases, and the doctor's term, it was terminal liver diseases, that she should have been gone in a year or or two years, something like that. And she was healed right that very moment. We all knew it, all of us. Her husband, her, myself, and two other ladies who were with us. And now she's active in the ministry. She, she's the most active of all the deliverance ministers we have. This was like 10, 12, 15 years ago. And she's still alive. She had a doctor appointment the next week. And she wanted to cancel it. I, she knew she was healed. I said, don't cancel it. We got proof. You got proof that you were diagnosed with terminal disease, and now you don't have any disease. And she, she's active in that ministry because she's been delivered. And it wasn't her doing that, that held back the deliverance. It was the sins of the forefathers. The sins of the forefathers pass on to the third to fourth generation. That's right within the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Idolatry can kill, and it will limit your. It will limit your your uh, faith in God. It will limit him. So listen. Idolatry limits God's blessing in your life. You got to get rid of it. You know what? I'm going to end it with this. Sin is a constant companion to all of us. But if you keep focused, not going to say, if you be honest with yourself, it will keep us in fellowship with God. You, like you live in a constant state of repentance. Not that you're, you know, what can I say? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you want to be as close to God as you can possibly be. At least I do, and I know you do too. David wanted to be that way. He said it this way, search me, O God, and know my heart. And if there be any evil way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. He said, create in me a new heart, David. It was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is bara. And bara remains. It's the same word used in Genesis when God created. Bara means from nothing. David was saying, get rid of my old heart. I want a new heart from you. 
I'm going to end it there. Father, in Jesus' name, if any of us out here or any of us over the internet need a new heart, all they got to do is come to you. And Father, when they come, Lord, give them a measure of faith that they can believe they can move mountains. And Father, for us here today, in Jesus' name, Father God, I pray that we have taken a step upward in our faith by knowing that Jesus can heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal a fever, take care of the bound up people and heal them, feed them, cast out demons. And because signs followed, it gives the ID or the credentials of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the credentials are, He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. And He is my God. Father, I pray this message is is glorifying to You. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us as we leave this place. Let us just not hear these things, but let them enter into our heart and let us walk out of here knowing Jesus Christ is our Lord, knowing that we have received Jesus Christ and we know that we're headed for the kingdom of heaven. So give us that peace, assurance, and understanding. We don't want to limit you anymore. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all very much.